Hello, everybody, and welcome to Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Shotgun Spratling and Ryan Abraham. I almost combined both of your guys' names, but I didn't. Shotgun Abraham. Shotgun Abraham and Ryan Spratling. Spratling. Interesting combo. Uh, we got a fun show for you guys today. We'll be talking about USC and the NFL draft. The draft starts on Thursday, ends on Saturday, so we'll talk about Trojans, potential progens, if you will. Uh, we're going to talk about the hashtag Free Reggie Bush movement. Mm. that has stirred up once again i feel like it's a movement that has never really stopped oh Um, free reggie free reggie apparently and then we're gonna talk about player development ryan you posted an interesting story today looking at uh some data that was done over five years about usc's player development so we'll talk about that and of course we'll be taking your live calls 5124 tunnel our intern uh, Micah is screening calls in the next room, so that will be fun. Make sure you call, maybe tease them a little bit, you know, intern hazing, if you will. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then, of course, you can get uh, in a hold of us, either phone calls or comments, questions, concerns on three different streams, Facebook, YouTube, and Periscope. Uh, you can put whatever you want. We'll talk about it. All of that good stuff. Guys, it's the second week of the off season, if you will. Mm. It's... <laughs> What was that sound? <laughs> <laughs> Ryan's not happy about it. Happy about it, I can't tell. Um, but first off, let's talk about the NFL draft. Uh, not the same as last year. You know, you're not going to have a Sam Darnold going in the first round. But what are you expecting from the USC or USC guys in the NFL draft? Yeah, I put up a story yesterday, I think, about the draft. And it's interesting looking at it. USC has the most players drafted by any university. Uh, 506, I believe. Someone else said 505, but I believe it's 506 total. And there's, you know, Notre Dame's close and there's a bunch of schools that are like kind of further down. So I don't think that record's going to be broken this year. Maybe the first round draft pick record could be. That's closer. But looking at, you know, you had the Sam Darnold stuff from last year. Uh, This year, there's really nothing like that. And a lot of the mock drafts you look at, and there's so many. There's so many NFL uh, analysts out there now. Mike, I love Daniel Jeremiah. He does a great job. He's now the number one guy at the NFL Network because Mike Mayock, who I also like, is now the GM of the uh, Oakland Raiders. Uh, but going forward, there's a lot of them. There's not a lot that go all seven rounds. So when you're trying to do a story on the USC players this year, you kind of need ones that are going out beyond round three. There's a lot of round one mocks. There's a lot of you know more round one through three. Not as many all seven rounds. That's a lot harder, obviously. There's trades and all kinds of things. But that's where the majority of the USC players looks like they're going to be drafted. Thursday's all round one. Uh, Friday's round two and three. You might see a Chuma Adoga in that, in that Friday round. I don't think any of the other USC players would be drafted until Saturday. So it's, uh, you know, it's hit or miss. You don't know. Shotgun. Shotgun seems like he doesn't agree with that statement. I think guys could go as early as the third round. I think Chuma has a potential of moving up to the second round uh, is his ceiling. I think a couple of the other guys that are kind of in that fringe middle middle of the draft could potentially go in the third round. Okay. Uh, I, I think it depends on how the draft plays out. Um, you look at a guy like Iman Marshall. You know, some teams probably have him rated high. Some of them don't as much. What position are they looking at? At you know, at cornerback, there's a number of guys that are going to go late in that first round. You know, between 15 and 30. Uh, but how many of them go? And then how many? You know, how does the draft kind of flow that way? There's a couple of positions where USC players 
where I don't think it's too strong, uh, you know, too deep, so they can move up and eventually be taken in the, in the third or fourth rounds when maybe you would expect them to go maybe a round or two later. Yeah. Uh, and I think Chuma Doga is another guy that could he could bump up a round just because I don't think there's a ton. And it also depends on where teams are looking at him. I think he's versatile enough that teams may be looking at him as a tackle and a guard. So that versatility might help push him up if teams are, you know, kind of they want to take an offensive lineman and they're, they're kind of torn on whether they want a guard or a tackle. Hey, you can do both. So that might be something that helps him out. Um, but it's 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 very hard to do. There's no way to get a, a seven round mock, uh, mock draft correct. No, it's, there's no way to get a first round mock. It's draft. very very difficult to get a first round. Uh, Those, they don't mock. even get the top five picks right. Like it's very very hard to do, and they change it every all the time. I think they're kind of silly. I like a lot of people that do it. I do think they're kind of silly. Like it's really you can't well, predict trades and all this stuff. Part of it is the trades, but also it's become where you. At one point, you could get the information like, yeah, they really like this player and stuff. But now it's become such a, you know, the NFL has become so large itself that it's become a a cloud of uh, misinformation. Yes, you know, there's so much noise being thrown out. You know, and you look at a guy like, um, you know, uh, Patrick Mahomes. Bruce Arians love Patrick Mahomes. The Chiefs took him right in front of him. Yeah. But so if he knows, like, okay, well, they might like a quarterback too. He's not gonna say, yeah, I love this guy. You right. know, and you know, we really like this guy. We'll see. And then the Chiefs are like, well, I know he's, you know, or someone right behind them has to the trades up in front of them because they're like, I know the Cardinals are gonna take him. Right. So it, it that's there's so much misinformation out there because of how you know how valuable a first round draft pick is. You know, a first round draft pick can completely change your team, you know, especially at the quarterback position. You look at the Chiefs in particular. Um, but, you know, so I think that it's, that's why it's become so much more difficult. I think maybe in the mid 80s to early uh, to mid 90s, you probably could get a, you know, you probably could get a more a true sense because, you know, the GMs are telling, yeah, we really let this guy, you know, if he's there, we'll take him. If not, it's this guy. And, you know, and sometimes it's just, position of need that you need some gms take you know best available and that's what a lot of them are is studying what the gms have done before yeah and what the team needs and then deciding okay you're trying to project where they're gonna go yeah. i mean last year when did we know baker mayfield was gonna go first like like a day it was like the day before the draft i mean it was something crazy like everyone assumed like sam darnold or whatever i mean uh, if you remember, uh, Haslam came to the USC Pro Day. Everyone's like, oh, Sam Darnold's going to Cleveland. He's going to Cleveland. Yeah. And that changed at the very end. So, I mean, we don't know. You think Kyler Murray's going to go first? It's, I guess we're still hearing that in the drafts tomorrow. But for the USC players, I mean, I think like a guy like Marvell Tell seemed to help himself. Uh, you know, he jumped 42 inches at the NFL Combine. I think he had a good broad jump. But he might be looked at as more of a corner. Iman Marshall, I think, did some good things. Uh, you know, he could be more of a more of a safety where he, you might have both those guys uh shifting positions you know there's some interesting uh players there with cameron smith porter gustin who came out to have a positive drug test which his agent said was for adderall something he was like uh, you know cleared for so that was okay was he tested for something else I mean, we don't really know at this point but that at least came out today does that affect his draft stock uh you know cameron smith was a high production guy actually jumped yeah, like thirty nine inch vertical leap at the at the uh, combine. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um. So I mean, those guys I think are the best. Those those dudes have the best chance of of getting drafted. You might see someone else sort of sneak in, and then it could be a lot of uh, unrestricted free agents at the end, like a Jenny Harris and Aga Cedric Ware. Guys like that, I think you'll see sign on, you know, someplace, and then you know try to make the team. The interesting thing about Port Augustine is that they labeled it as a PED, but the official way that they do it is that 
during the season, Adderall is is listed as a P, uh, a PED, but then in the off season, it's listed as a recreational drug. So it's possible that that Porter Gustin could have been uh, taking something else, and we don't know fully. Yeah, I mean, the, his agent is the one that said Adderall, so it wasn't like this report came out and said you know there might have been something else. We, we you know we just. We don't know at this point. I'm sure the NFL people will. If he gets drafted in like the fourth round, like, oh, it's fine. If if not, then maybe there was something more to that. Yeah. And he, there was a, you know, I think Brady McCullough at the LA Times had a, you know, he basically went through the paper trail, the emails. So he was cleared, you know, that he was approved for Adderall at least. Now, when you get a, a false test, you don't, they don't tell you what the drug is that you have tested falsely for because the uh, Players Association does not allow that. So, so in the past, Players have I'm not saying this is what Porter Gustin because he was he was approved for Adderall, but in the past, other players have been busted for other things have said something. You know they'll change the drug they or said what it, it is. Adderall, yeah. They'll say it was Adderall or they'll say something else because you know it has a lesser uh, you know just it has a doesn't have as uh, a bad of a connotation to the the public. Uh, to to take Adderall versus steroids. Yeah. So I, I know a lot of people jumped out and like, oh my God, Porter Gustin on steroids. Well, we don't necessarily know that. Yeah. No. And you know the the fact that there is a paper trail that he was cleared for Adderall says that you know there at least that there was something there with that. So I, I think there's more. Uh, I think that that lends more cre credence to the agent story on that as well. That you know he was taking Adderall for whatever reason. Yeah. Makes sense. We actually have a caller. Nice. Yeah, don't forget, live callers, 5124-TUNNEL. We want to get the live callers. Put Micah to work over there in the yeah, other room. Yeah, put the intern to work. Uh, it's our buddy Brandon from Wisconsin. Yes, Brandon. Brandon, what's up? How's it going? Hey, what's your um, question? So my, my question is, out of all the draft-eligible players this year, which one has the best chance of becoming a first-round draft pick? Interesting. So for... You're talking. You're talking to guys like that are cut, that have come out of USC already. Or? Next year's group. Oh, next year's group. Yeah. Oh, okay. So looking at next year's group, let's pull that up and see. Um, Michael Pittman Jr. is the first guy that jumps off, off top of my head. I would yeah. say Michael Pittman. Um, but it's also still tough because receivers. You know, you have to be fast and physical. So I think he could be like Nikhil Harry, who's a guy who's you know kind of a. a First or second, late first, early second type of guy. So, you know, don't know that necessarily he'll be that guy either. I, I think that's the first one just pops to mind. I mean, I'm trying to think of who else is out there. Yeah, for for seniors, you're talking Daniel Metorbebe, who's, you know, he hasn't been playing. Clayton Bradley, uh, Jacob Daniel, Christian Rector, you know, probably not. Jordan Iosefa, probably not. John Houston, probably not. Dominic Davis, no. Um, of the juniors, um, like would Vi or Stephen Carr, like, I mean, not right now. Yeah, not the way they are. Tyler Vaughn's. I mean, there's some potential there. Like Josh Follow, no. Um, I mean, Austin, I think Austin like Jackson it. and maybe a guy like Jay Tufele are the two guys that yeah. maybe could make a huge jump this season. Uh, but they, they would have to produce a lot of numbers this year because they don't have the track record uh, from the last couple of years. So you'd have to have a really big season from them to jump in. Otherwise, I think I'd still go with Michael Pittman would be the best chance. He seems to be like, yeah, that would be the best. You know, we think he's going to be a captain. I think there would be a decent shot, but he would have to have a huge year. I yeah. think like it's, uh, I mean, huge year, run well, do everything, you know, be, you know, not have injury concerns going into the draft, those type of things. But, you know, there's just not a lot of candidates there. It's, yeah. not, it's not like, you know, in, in some draft, class, draft classes at USC, you've been like, who do you think is going to be the first first-round pick? This year, it's, eh, will there be one? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's 
you're trending towards no rather than you know being a definite yes or anything. So I just don't think that there's a um, you know a, when you come off a five and seven season, it's hard to have anyone yeah. be a, a first round talent. Uh, so now they're going to have to come off and, and play very well, and we'll see if the production can match the potential uh, at the next level. That's what that's what teams will be looking for. Yeah, think about a guy like Nikhil Harry who. I guess he'll probably go like later in the first round and like a super talent, like Maybe one of the second most, round. Yeah. I mean, and he's like, you know, one of the better players we've seen in the Pac-12 in the last few years, and he might not go in the first round. So Michael Pittman, I think, would have to have a, a pretty big uh, year to go in the first round. So it's not looking great, uh, Brandon in Wisconsin. But well, thanks for the call. Yeah, thank you, Brandon, for the call. While we're on the topic of the draft, I'm going to go to another caller that we have. Wow. Um, it is Jaeger. Jaeger, I think I got that right, from Huntington Beach. Hello. Hey, guys. How's it going? Hey, what's is your it, question for the team? Is it Jaeger? Well, how do you pronounce your name? Jagger. Jagger. Okay, sorry. Move like Jagger Blaming from, Mike Surf, for that one. from Surf City. What's wow. up, Jagger? Yep. Um, so for this question, I'd like an answer from all of you guys. But who do you think is the biggest draft bust um, to ever come out of USC? So someone that got drafted but just busted out? Yeah, someone who had like big expectations just didn't pan out. Okay. I don't remember what I had for breakfast, so this is going to be tough. <laughs> yeah, um, this is not my wheelhouse. <laughs> okay. Uh, who is someone that just absolutely crapped the bed? Okay. Rob Johnson, if you remember him, um, I think was a first round draft pick, but was sort of like didn't do much. But then he came in, I think it was for like Mark Brunel and like, and like had like one good game or something and then got like a $25 million contract after that. Like this was a while back. Um, that was a good one. Are you pulling up some, some, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I mean, I'm just trying to look at the list of, list of draft picks and look at who was the first round picks. Cause I don't think you would say the biggest bust would be anyone not in the first round. Yeah. Mike Williams with the Detroit lions. Yeah. His career. Now he came back later with this, I think it was the Seahawks. So he, I mean, he still That's played four That's or five a... years, but, he being was a, like a, a top 10 pick or something. Being a top 10 pick, you know, the, that, that puts a the, lot more onus. It was a, the other draft, the supplementary draft. I mean, you could say Matt Leiner was no, like. He, he was a top 10 pick in the regular draft. Was he? I thought they, he had he to He tried do, to get into the other draft and they wouldn't. Oh, uh, okay. Matt, I mean, Matt Leiner was a top 10 pick. and uh, Matt Leiner's definitely up there. Uh, Sam Baker, the offensive tackle, went to the Falcons. Being he, a Falcons fan. He, he played for a he while. Played, he was not very good. But, I mean, um, uh, you know, if you're playing, like, <laughs> that's. I mean, you could even go somewhere like Kenichiu Daisy because you know okay, his but, career was cut short. But that's, that's not a bust. That's depends Luke on Kenia. how you're defining it. That's not a bust. I, I want to look if for you, if you spend a first round draft pick, a top 10, 20, 10, 15 pick on someone, you expect them to be in your organization for eight years. Yeah. But that's not something he it's can not, control. I didn't say it was something he can control. But usually the, the connotation, pick, the, the pick was a bust. Where did where did Matt Barkley go? Was he a third rounder or something? Or uh, Barkley was later than that, I think. Fourth round. Fourth first round. Yeah, round. so that's not really a bust. Um, yeah, that's going back to two thousand. That's the the ones I would pick off that group. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. I mean, John, where was Rob Johnson? Look for him. John Michaels, uh, offensive tackle. Rob Johnson was a first round pick. Fourth round. Fourth round. Oh, okay, so that he's not really a bust, but he he was a bust later because he had like one good like game or something and then got this enormous contract off it and it was just it wasn't uh, would you count reggie bush as a bust no he won a super bowl he had like thousand yard rushing seasons like he did a lot of good things he you know mm, okay todd marinovich yeah i marinovich is definitely one um he was a i think he went like 25th or something to the raiders and mm -hmm. uh 
Is that right? I mean, there's some offensive linemen that I don't know anything about because it's from the 80s. Dave Cadigan, uh, James Fitzpatrick, you know, yeah, Dwayne know. Bickett, Ken Rutgers. You know, these are guys I just don't you know. This was when I was being born, so I don't have a background when on When you them. were birthed. Yeah. Birthed. To say whether or not. Uh, YouTube seems to say Matt Leinert. Yeah. Matt Leinert's definitely up. Taylor Mays. Mays was second round, was yeah. he? Um, he really didn't do much, though. The second round. Yeah. I mean, he stayed in the league for like six years, whereas Leinart was like gone and like. He had. A, I mean, Leinart had a chance, but then Kurt Warner comes in, and it just didn't really. It never really worked out for him. I, I think. Mean, I think he could have done well. You know. I think Leinart is definitely up there, and I think Leinart would agree with you on that. Um, yeah. But he was also probably the greatest USC quarterback. Right. In college. Yeah. So. Who was a better pro, Matt Castle, and you know, and they, yeah, he couldn't he couldn't beat out Leinart in college. Alrighty, well, I think I think we addressed that. Yeah, pretty well. Jagger, Thank nice you. job. Jagger, Jagger, Jagger. Didn't I say a oh, Jagger? Oh, it is Jagger. Sorry, Sorry Jagger. Sorry, Jagger. <laughs> we botched it again. I botched the last. Can't stuff. take you guys anywhere. Oh wow. Um. Well, thanks for the live calls, the, the blitz of lives calls there. Um. But I mentioned Reggie Bush, maybe incorrectly. Uh. But. Free, hashtag free Reggie Bush was in the top of the show. Uh, that kind of started up again based on an Arash Markazi column in the LA Times. Um, it's based on the fact that Reggie Bush is joining Fox Sports for basically the rival to College Game Day. Um, and the the problem that is that he's facing is that Reggie Bush is still banned from USC. So say uh, the show was going to cover a USC game, Reggie Bush can't go to USC practice. So it kind of it it causes this weird. Thing where Reggie is still banned from USC and the thing that came out of Arash's article was that uh, USC had tried on three separate occasions to essentially appeal uh, the NCAA's decision of hey can we not ban Reggie for life and they essentially said no um, and when uh, Arash reached out to the NCAA for a comment uh, the NCAA said no comment so which they're good at they're very good at giving you no comment true um, so it just seems Ryan like this saga just continues it does. Um, there was also a uh, sport. Our friend Sports by Brooks, who was on this show when he like came back uh, out of retirement or wherever he was, uh, he's got. A, he's a big push on that too. Um, Matt Leinart went on uh, one of the ESPN radio shows uh, talking about that. They tweeted that out earlier. It's been a thing on our message boards. I think like a year ago, I said I'm going to make this like a campaign of my own, and that sort and of lost steam. Shotgun and I did see Reggie Bush at the the playoff game at Oaks Christian. I did oh, yeah. interview Reggie, and he yeah. said he wants to be back at USC. Got to plug my own content. Yeah, <laughs> um, and you know Dan Weber brought up like if if you know he wants to come to USC practice because he's covering college football now. He's an analyst, and the NCAA says no. There could be some lawsuit there because you're not allowing him to you know do his job and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So there's some weird stuff going. On. It's dumb. Like Chris Weber was banned for ten years. Yeah. Reggie Bush has been banned for more than that. Is there any particular reason? Like, what? I mean, I don't know. Like, he, he didn't, like, go out and, you know, kill a bunch of bunnies or something. Like, this was, like, you know, I, he didn't do anything. It seems very personal. Yes, it, it does, does seem personal. It does not seem um, objective. It just no. seems very weird. And having sat through the trial, it seems just very weird all around. Through the Tommy Nair trial. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. And also... Because you have the college basketball scandal going on, and now suddenly there are college football programs that are being, you know, their names are being thrown around by witnesses and stuff as, you know, having paid off people. 
It's going to bring the question up more and more as the, the continuation of these two different scandals go on. The emission scandal, and which they're still investigating, and there's more people being involved in that, uh, and as well as the college basketball bribery scandal. Yeah. And how those play out, I think, will will ultimately impact Reggie Bush's standing with the NCAA because I think they're going to get to the point where they're going to be like, can we really keep this one guy out? Of you know, from going back to his university, you know, even if he doesn't have to, you know, he doesn't get the Heisman back or whatever it is, but you really going to keep him from associating with a school that he went to for multiple years and maybe he has a degree? I don't, I don't think he has the degree because he left early and since he's not allowed back in school, but potentially, like, if he wanted to go back and get his degree, can he not do that because the NCAA yeah. rules? Yeah. Like that's that's kind of messed up when you have when it's looking like oh well. There was bribery and people accepting money in a lot of different places in the country. You're gonna let? Are you gonna just pick out one person and say, "Well, you were the first one that we, you know, that we said did it, so therefore we're gonna keep keep everybody keep you out, but everybody else we're just right. It's too late for us to make any uh, judgments on them, I guess. And USC needs to step up to the plate here and is like, "Look, this ain't happened. Stop. It's over." Like they need to uh, show some huevos. <laughs> like they need to come in and say. Uh, yeah, this is um, this is over. We're gonna let Reggie Bush come back. We're gonna have a freaking parade. Uh, he's gonna, you know, we're gonna put his number back up in the Coliseum. We're gonna petition to get, you know, to reinstate the Heisman with the Heisman Trust and all that stuff. All that stuff needs to happen. And the thing that people don't understand, if you're a USC fan, or you know, if you're like a Notre Dame fan on Twitter, you're like, he cheated. It was different. This wasn't uh, like what Chris Webber didn't get paid by boosters to like come to the school. I mean, that's what happened there. I believe that's what happened with Chris Weber. And you saw Cam Newton, like, was, you know, his family was paid money, so he would go to that school. This was a wannabe agent paying Reggie Bush to, to try leave. to leave the school. Yeah. Like, it's a very different. If there was some, if any evidence of, like, USC paid money to get Reggie Bush in and you won a bunch of games, that, I mean, it would at least make a little bit more sense. But it wasn't, they, they didn't, USC didn't get acquire Reggie Bush and his talent illegally or against any of the rules that's why this is baffling like it does seem personal keely why the heck would you know his dad and his family taking extra benefits from some wannabe agent being the worst thing in the world you know like yeah. what north carolina having all these crazy stupid classes that don't exist and get you know there's things that are way way worse it doesn't make any sense you had nancy LA never sets they say that you know it set a precedent and everything but when you kind of compare things complete apples and oranges you just don't understand how this is even possible. So you have to hashtag free Reggie Bush. I'm behind this 100%. This is just dumb hypocrisy by the NCAA, and it just needs to end. And it's also similar when you look at, uh, you know, our, our buddy Joey Kaufman is now covering Ohio State. One of their coaches has just been thrown into the mix as far as the college basketball bribery scandal. One of their football coaches saying, alleging that he um, asked someone to pay money to a player so they would stay in school. This is this is it's not even USC saying no. Here's some money. Stay for your senior year. Right. It's the it's the opposite of that. It's someone saying, hey, here's some money. Don't go back for your senior year. So it just doesn't make sense when you compare it to the other things. Just like you said, like they don't do things on precedent, which probably is is shows you how much you need to know about the the NCA. But when you do actually compare them, it doesn't. It, yeah. There's no comparison. What yeah. happened didn't benefit the USC football program at all. Like. Paying Cam Newton won Auburn a national championship. Like, there's a huge benefit there. Cam Newton should never be able to step foot in the state of Alabama if you want to compare the two things. Whatever happened with Reggie Bush's family getting a house and all that stuff did not help the USC football program at all. So I don't 
the, the fact that he has to be banned from the program doesn't make any sense. There's been plenty of instances where money was paid, it benefited the program. The USC football program was not benefited at all by what happened. So that's where the disconnect for me is. It's just like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's a huge disconnect. Um, hypothetically speaking, though, if Reggie Bush just showed up and they let him in, what what does the NCAA do? I mean, yeah. can you test that? Can you just be like, I I think USC should. That's where you have to go in and be like, look, just you call him and be like, look, this is over. We're going to have him come back. You don't have to make any statement or anything, but you're just not going to say anything about it. And we're moving on and do it. And I, I think you have to be able to push back a little bit. Since the sanctions hit, USC's just rolled over with everything with the NCAA. We saw Penn State fight. We saw North Carolina fight in weird ways. Miami, all these programs fought back. And I think now there's not as much teeth with the NCAA after they did that and they overreached with this Reggie Bush stuff. So I think USC needs to kind of step back up. And if they had a real strong leadership in the athletic administration, I think they would do that. They just haven't had that with the hirings they've made, just hiring former football players, keeping the same thing over and over again. They need to step up and be like, look, this is what we're doing. You make a call. Here's how this is going to work and go from there and then see what the NCAA does. No one's going to be defending the NCAA if they want to try to go after USC again. Everyone else is going to be on you. It wasn't that way before. Now it would be like, this is stupid. Why are you keeping Reggie Bush? Why are you banning him for life? He's 86th for life from uh, USC. It makes yeah. no sense. Yeah, it doesn't. Well, moving on to the present and present topics. Ryan, you want to talk about a little bit about the article you wrote today? Yeah, player that's development. very popular. Um, so, <laughs> so this came from, I didn't just, I'm not looking for negative stories. I got a positive one uh, coming tomorrow, but um, yes, there's been some weird stuff that's happening, but 24 seven sports and uh, Chris Hummer, who does a good job. Uh, one of the college football analysts there, he's based out of Austin, Texas, did a five-year study looking at recruiting classes, I believe from 2010 to 2015. Um, and look, basically, there was a bunch of different parameters. You look at the number of top 247 players. So the top, it's mostly four and five star players. So the top like 250-ish uh, players in the country, each program signed. And then you got points for any of those programs, any of those players getting drafted uh, in the NFL. If they went like the first, you know, early rounds, they got a couple more points than if they went like fourth round, fourth or seven. I think they divided it the way the draft is divided you know, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whatever it is. So anyway, you got points. It, it was like, and then there was a uh, development rating that he gave to everyone. Now, the top four programs in the country were Florida, Alabama, uh, Clemson, and Ohio State. And they all had a development rating of one point something. So it was over uh, one. So that means that, you know, of the players they brought in, a lot of them went on and were drafted by the NFL. The Ohio State and Alabama of those two of those four programs put a lot had a lot of dudes, a lot of prospects to choose from. A lot of the top twenty four, and then Clemson and Florida not as much, but they put them in at a very efficient rate. At the bottom of the scale was Texas; they were like point one eight, so they had they had a lot of the top two four seven programs, but only ten percent or ten and a half percent of them were drafted. So of all those you know elite prospects that Texas signed. Only about 10% of them were drafted in the NFL. So that's pretty bad. Te US Texas actually will not have a first-round pick for – this will be a fourth year in a row, which will be like the first time in, in like 40 or 50 years. Wow. Whereas wow. UTSA has had a first-round pick, <laughs> Baylor. Like every other – like Texas said, program. Like, yeah, yeah. Has, has had a, a first-round pick during that, uh, that stint, but uh, Texas has not. Yeah. And USC wasn't as bad as Texas, but on the bottom of that scale too – now, the weird thing is USC signed the second most 
uh, top 247 prospects behind Alabama. So as far as elite recruiting talent coming in, USC was only second to Alabama, but they only had 33.3%. You know, a third of those guys end up being drafted by the the NFL. So their, their uh, uh, development rating was 0. 0.6. And uh, it was kind of the same place as South Carolina, Tennessee, like teams that get a bunch of talent but don't really do as much with them. That's kind of where USC is. And I talked to Chris Hummer this morning a little bit. He said for the next couple of classes too, 2016, 17, 18, it's going to keep trending down uh, from where, you know, projective where these guys are going to go. So it's not uh, a very positive look. And so I kind of broke it down a little bit in the article talking about, you know, the, the player development that's not really happening, that the, the elite talent is getting there, at least according to the recruiting rankings. You know, Alabama's get the same kind of players. Ohio State's getting the same kind of players. They're developing and develop them at a higher rate and putting them in the NFL at a higher rate. So it, it's not that it's something that can't be, you know, fixed, but it's it's not trending in the right direction. And if you look at this last recruiting class, only three of the top twenty four seven players were drafted were uh, signed by USC. So that number usually USC is bringing in close to ten, averaging over this study, ten of the top two hundred forty seven uh, players. This last recruiting cycle, only three. So now, I mean, you can your percentages can go up if like two of those guys get drafted in the NFL. It's like better, but you're not getting the same kind of numbers that we've seen traditionally. So it's what a lot of the USC fans on the message boards that, that don't like the coaching staff. And this isn't all on Clay Helton because a lot of this, you know, some of this happened during Sark, you know, Kiffin and Sark, some of it during Helton. But it's not a great trend, Shotgun, that USC doesn't seem to be developing these guys like some of the other top programs. Yeah, it's, it's the kind of the exact opposite of the Pete Carroll days. Whereas Pete Carroll, the, the talent would come in, the talent would go in the first round. You have several first-round draft picks. That's why USC has had, had sparsely had first-round draft picks the last four or five years. You know, you get a Leonard Williams, you get a Sam Darn, you get a Dory Jackson. But, you know, if, if Juju was developed a little bit more, does he make it in the first round? You know, he's showing, He looks like he could have been one right yeah, now. Yeah, right? he's showing that obviously he can produce at the, in the NFL. And, you know, if, if you're winning a bunch – then sometimes guys get overvalued and they get in the first round when, you know, and then you have the discussion about who's the biggest bust. But <laughs> you can't have a discussion about the biggest bust if you're not getting anybody into the first round. And, and that's kind of been the trend more recently. You know, uh, there was a question uh, on YouTube asking who was the last offensive lineman drafted in the first round. Well, that answer would be Matt Khalil. Um, you went in the top five, but, you know, that was – Five years ago now, I believe. More than that, right? Is it five or six years ago now? So yeah. you know, it, it's been long enough that he's on his second or I think he's on his third team that is going to be this year. So um, you know, USC just has not been good in the trenches in that regard. And you thought Chuma Doga might be a guy that could that was talented enough to do that, but you know, he has not developed as much as you know potentially his talent was coming out of high school. And you know, the expectations were there. He could still be in the second round. I don't think he's going to work his way in the first round, obviously, in the, in the next day. <laughs> right. um, but, you know, that's the kind of thing that you're looking at. Guys like E.J. Price, who, you know, if he comes in, he plays, and Austin Jackson, those are guys you look at, and, like, those are potential first round. You know, coming out of high school, you look at the, the tape, you look at the guys, you go, that guy's got – he's a potential first round pick. Yeah. Can he get there? Is the coaching helping him get there? And that has not been the case the last few years. Yeah. So, I don't know. There was – a lot of the USC fans on the, the Peristyle on the message board were like happy for the article. The uh, doom and gloomers, the sunshine pumpers, not so much. Um, just sort of, you know, wasn't trying to make any sort of statement on what it's doing, but it does look like from the numbers that, and this was a really interesting study that took five years or went, you know, a span over five years. 
Uh, USC certainly not developing it the, at the level of some of the programs that are having a lot more success. So it kind of makes sense. And we got a question on YouTube from the Kilo B730. He says, so who do we blame for not developing players, Clay or the assistants or both? Well, like I said, I mean, some of this started with the other staffs too, but I think it's the coaching staff in general. It's not just the head coach. It's not just the assistants. It's, you know, the head coach is assembling this assistance. And um, yeah, I think, you know, it's a more of a coaching staff sort of problem. There's some arguments on the peristyle that maybe some of the prospects are overrated, but, you know, you've, this is over five years and, uh, you know, you're, not every prospect USC gets is overrated all the time. I think there, there could be some of that too, but uh, I would put a lot of it on, you know, the individual coaching staffs. It's the entire organization. You look at yeah. the administration and what they put in place. I mean, you look at strength and conditioning and how USC players have gone to the combine in previous years, and people have been like, well, why are they only lifting that little yeah. bit? You know, there's just a lot of factors into it. The whole organization has not helped these players. Right. And it all started with, you know, with Sark, basically. You know, with, with him, or I would say it started with him, because – Lane Kiffin doesn't work out. You make a move. You decide to bring in Sark instead of potentially Chris Peterson, who they'd interviewed. And a year and a half in, he gets fired, you know, for for his off the field issues. And then you're kind of in a tailspin. Now you got Orgeron. Now you got Helton. You know, you're still trying to figure. You know, trying to get some stability there. And with all the turnover, it makes it that much more difficult for players. We talked a little bit about it on the uh, Family Feud podcast about how. You know, when, when you're a new guy and you come in and a guy like Dominic Davis was come in to be a slot guy, you know, him and Adore were going to play some slot stuff and kind of a you know, a spread offense and you're going to spread them out and get the guy, get the ball to him and let him make a move or something. Well, when Helton came in, he completely changed that. They didn't want to do that anymore. So now that guy and you look at some of the DBs and now they've had three different coaches and they're, you know, they're five, four or five years at USC. How do you, you know, if a guy's teaching you one thing and the next guy comes in and teaches you something different, is that – building on what you've already learned or is that taken away you have to relearn stuff you know there's just when you have the consistency and you're and everyone's performing well and when you bring in a new coach it's because well the old guy got promoted somewhere else or you know we're, we're bringing in a new guy because we really like that guy you know you're bringing Dylan McCullough that type of guy that hasn't been the case it's okay who can we get because who wants to come to USC you know to an extent because you you're struggling and coaches want to go where they know that they're going to have talent, produce talent, and then be able to build on their career and go somewhere else. Yeah. And that hasn't necessarily been the case at USC. Yeah. I think, the or like Shaka said, the organization in general is a great point. And when you make a bad decision in life or whatever you're doing, you can compound it after you figure out it's a bad decision or you could fix it. USC completely just compounded their bad. The, the Lane Kiffin decision was bad. He was at Tennessee for a year. The only reason you hired him is because he was under Pete Carroll, blah, 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 whatever. That was bad. Well, you doubled down on that when you fired him and hired Steve Sarkeesian. You basically hired the same guy. That was dumb. That was another thing. And then you go with Clay Helton, who was assistant under those guys. So you've, you've not got away from this 2010 decision that was arguably bad from back in the day, and you've kept going down that same well. So it just, it just doesn't make much sense. So, yeah, I think the coaching staff in general, the organization in general, uh, but if they had made a good decision, even after, if you go with Lane and you hire someone else, you hire Chris Peterson instead after that or whatever, you're probably not even having this discussion. But you've just compounded one bad decision with making more afterwards. And here you are, you know, an underachieving team. And as they, as Super OC pointed out on YouTube, culture. Yes. 
100%. And if, if you hire the same person, like you just said, with Kiffin and Sarkeesian, you bring in their assistants, that's all culture. Yeah. And that stems from Pat Hayden, Lynn Swan, you know, even the entire university culture. You know, of the fact you, you hired Swan to be a – you know, to be a fundraiser when maybe you need somebody that can make some decisions. Yeah. Sometimes you need an outside voice, and USC has been keeping it all inside, and it, it's not been good. And uh, we've talked about it ad nauseum. But Ryan's rules. My rules. The hire somebody that's – like whatever your job is, hire somebody that's done that job well. So whatever you're doing, you're a ditch digger, get someone that's di dug ditches really, really well. And then I add for the USC side, he, they can't know the fight song. So – don't hire anyone that has USC ties because you've done that so many times. I know people get mad. You want the Trojan family and the network and that stuff. Yes, but you over, you've abused that. So you've lost your hire a USC person privileges. Uh, just like, um, you know, in uh, Pulp Fiction, you lost your LA privileges. What they said to uh, Bruce Willis or whatever. Never seen the movie. You've never seen Pulp Fiction? I'm okay. sorry. You, you've lost your hiring from the USC family privileges. For those big jobs, just get someone that's done it before and has no ties to USC, and you will be much better off. Agreed. Um, looking forward at what this offseason looks like, someone asked about PRPs. Usually they start kind of throwing unofficially in May, and then PRPs begin in June. Um, I believe Ulao Ulao on YouTube asked, are fans going to be able to see PRPs this uh, season, a.k.a. can we are we going to be able to film it and put it on the site? Do we know that yet? I don't think we do. We don't. Um, the last couple of years, it's become more and more restricted. They were throwing over on Howard Jones Field or Brian Kennedy Field, but that is a closed, they're saying it's a closed facility, and if we went in there, then they would have to staff it, and it would become some official practice. They had this whole big explanation why we can't do what we've done for years and years. But we could stand up on top of the track field and film it from there. Parts of it, we couldn't film, like, the team stuff. Uh, we've talked about this on the our podcast with uh, Dan Weber and Keely and myself, where They've made these PRPs more like practices, walk-through practice. They want to run the plays. Now, so we don't know for sure how that's going to change. Usually it doesn't get better. It's, it usually only creeps worse. But with Graham Harrell coming in, it's not about learning every play in the playbook. It's not about you have that you know, stack of plays. It's really about quarterbacks getting reps. What the PRPs used to be, they used to be yeah. fun, competitive quarterbacks throwing to to guy you know receivers receivers running to grass running to try to find an opening and then trying to be on the same page and hitting the open guy and just moving like that i think they want to get a lot more reps as opposed to here's this big playbook and we're going to run all these things which that's what they've been doing the last couple of years i my gut is that they don't really need to do that anymore yeah so maybe it's going to be a little bit more open i'm not holding my breath uh but you know we'll see it's Usually gets a little bit more and more restrictive. You know, we get to do stuff that a lot of people that cover programs don't do, but we're creeping towards what other programs are doing where it's becoming more and more uh, closed off. Yeah. I mean, as far as if it's going to be less scripted, how much does that help guys just have fun and be naturally competitive? Whereas before you could argue that having the script over two months of summer and then going into fall camp and having that script again, it kind of burns out guys and makes them already sick of what they're doing before they even step into fall camp. Yeah, they used to be a lot of fun. Like there would be a lot of pictures of guys with their shirts off and flexing for you. And, and the players love it. They love when we come down there. If you get your camera, they're going to pose for you. They pose yeah. for me, whatever. They Even when we were up on the track field, they would pose for us like walking off the field. 
they love they'd want to see that or if they, they made an interception they'd come over like hey keely can i see that off your camera like yeah that's and so we've kind of got away from that but it was a lot of fun they would do the one-on-ones and those were super competitive they'd stay afterwards and I remember Jenny Harris coming out and, uh, you know, he was a defense. He wasn't a wide receiver. They made him a wide receiver and he was making all these plays like, wow, he hadn't played wide receiver since he was seven years old. I don't know if you can, it's going to be hard to do that anymore. Like people have merged in the summer before because of the competitive nature that now it's really just more about, or at least it was more about just kind of running the plays and you're, it wasn't very competitive. I like if a Jenny Harris came in today as a DB, the way he was, he never would have got a chance to, you know, switch to play receiver and then switch back and stuff. And so it just, I don't think it would happen in the kind of culture that we're seeing now. Yeah. And Keely even mentioned earlier in our podcast that it can get monotonous when you're running the same plays over from spring to summer to fall and you're not having the fun you want to have. And I mentioned that it's much easier for it to be monotonous when you're coming off a two hour workout too. You've just got done yeah. running and killing yourself, you know, and, you know, busting your, busting your tail. And suddenly you're like, okay, you run these same plays, the same ones you just ran last week over yeah. again. All right, go, you run it. Okay, throw it. Like, there's no enthusiasm for that where it's like, okay, one-on-one competition periods. Now we're going to go at each other. And it's fun, you know, because then you got bragging rights and you can go through the rest of the day, the rest of the week, or whatever it may be. But I, I think that they've got to get back to having fun, you know. Yeah. If Coach O brought some cookies back and that's what it takes, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, I think that – that's part of something that needs needs to be a part of the culture. There's no, when they have music in practice, guys get really excited and they start dancing stuff. They brought that a little bit. You know, they're, they're make, trying to make some changes. So we'll see if they make some changes this summer as well. They made some changes in the spring that were positive. We'll see if they continue it as it goes. I think it would be great if it became, again, uh, player-run practices where Graham Harrell goes out to JT and Jack Sears and Slovis and is like, Hey, go out and run the stuff we did. Like that's what the instructions. Not here's a book of what we want done and go do that stuff. Where okay, page seven, we're gonna do this. If they were just like, hey, remember what we did in spring? Go out and do that with the guys. I think that's perfect. You know, where that they're gonna run it on their own, and hopefully they do that. I think that would be beneficial. And the interesting theory about that, Ryan, is that uh, Graham Harrell said one of the most important things for the quarterbacks in the off season is to develop leadership and see which leader is going to stand out. And so if you give them kind of free range, I think it gives them more of an opportunity to become a leader. Whereas if you're just running scripts, it doesn't, you don't have to lead that necessarily. You're just saying, okay, we're doing this now and go do it, you know? So I think it would be interesting if we see more, more player run in that sense. I know on the defensive side, uh, Clancy Pendergrass said on the last Thursday practice of spring camp, he let Jordan Isafa and John Houston kind of run things for the first half of practice. So what he wants them to do during uh, PRP. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But I mean, more fun would be good. Uh, my favorite times of PRPs was watching Juju and Adori go at it just yeah. for fun. You know, that's to me, that's what PRPs are about. Um, so, but let's get into questions, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, let's see. We're, we, we're 45 minutes in. How did that happen? I know. It's pretty crazy. When we get calls and we have a, a meaty top section, it, it gets pretty long. Yeah, there's some meaty stuff to talk about. Yep. Um, let's see. Jasper Smith says on YouTube, as the draft is concerned, for the two, the 2020 NFL draft, do we have any potential first rounders? Did we already discuss this? We're pretty much. Yeah, yeah, we are. Okay. Sorry. Um, let's see. Michael Pittman's the potential one. We yes. Saw. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry. That's it's, all right. It's hard discussing things and then going straight into questions. Yeah. Um, 
Let's see. Sorry. <laughs> Ron Major wanted to know, what do we do now? We just lift weights until August? Wouldn't be a terrible thing, Ron. That wouldn't be a terrible thing. Just so, lift some weights. Someone asked, do we have, I think it was LDR asked, do we have any information about Osmus and his program so far? It seems to be more like, there seems strength to be a bigger aspect of it, um, just from watching some of the, the videos and stuff. I don't, you know, uh, we don't know for sure uh, yeah. yet, but yeah, it, it seems to be, it's going to be a different, like we talked about, like if you, you know, you're, you're changing something, you're going to, you get a different gardener or whatever. It's, it's going to be something a little different. This is going to be a little bit different uh, with the strength program. So they'll be emphasizing different things. I think strength, you know, uh, you know, strength is going to be more uh, of an emphasis there. So we'll see. It might affect some positions more than others. I heard that there was more emphasis on powerlifting and across all positions. I mean, is there a need for spe specialization based on which players your your strength and conditioning? I, mean, I think this group has to get stronger just as a whole. Yeah. Start with that and then you work on the other stuff. Yeah. And, I, and it's weird because, you know, everybody responds differently. And I think a lot of the, the, the benefits of having, you know, great strength programs is that they, there's going to be customized plans. But I, I've heard the same thing where it's going to be uh, more powerlifting. Does like Jack Sears need to do more of that? You know, probably not. But there's different aspects of it. But I think in general, like Shotgun said, they probably needed a little bit more of that in the in the rotation and it wasn't there. So now you're going to you're going to get more of that and it's probably going to help in some aspects and maybe some others that you know a workout was working better for them in the old way than it, the new one. But everyone responds, you know, differently. You're going to do things differently. Everyone, you know, we could all work out different things, different ways and uh, so hopefully it's customized. You want it to be customized for everybody. The couple of linemen I've talked to that were with Osmus before rave about him. Yeah. So I think that tells you that's an area where USC needs to get stronger, and I think that tells you that they can get stronger there. Yeah. Um, YouTube, step up your question game. <laughs> I'm just gonna put you guys on Come the on, spot. Come on, YouTube. Yeah, Periscope too. You, got, you know. We yeah. Got, Facebook we got... has some questions, and we'll get to those in a second. Uh, we had a question specifically for you, Shotgun, from Ulao Ulao. He says, "Quick question: What DB has really impressed you to this point? ITS looks like a special talent, but needs to learn footwork." Uh, I think Britton Allen's ability to play corner and safety is impressive. You know, for a freshman coming in his first spring, I think that is impressive. Talano Hufunga wasn't out there for very long, but he's a playmaker. Yeah. Once he gets healthy, he's going to be a playmaker. I would agree. He's a he's special talent. And he could probably take our jobs when he's done playing football because he's good at that stuff. <laughs> Talano Hufunga? Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, he's communication. A good he's a good talker. And, uh, and he's very media friendly, too, which always helps. Yes. Ryan, but who would you say? I know it was for shotgun, but I'm gonna. Oh, give it to you. Uh, no, I would go with Hufunga. I, you know, I, I just have a feeling that Elijah Griffin's gonna be, um, is gonna have a big year. I think there's certainly, I think he's a really talented kid. I think now, you got a lot of those veterans gone. I think he's gonna step up, and uh, you're gonna see a lot more from him. Um, we have a question for, along the same lines of DB. Stephen Conroy on Facebook says, with so many freshman DBs coming in and probably getting playing time this fall, any suggestions on how to incorporate them during the summer? You get them in there and you get to work on, you know, how you can work on technique as much as you can, but you also get to work on calls. That's the biggest thing. Learning the communication, that's the hardest part for freshmen when they come in. A lot of new calls, you know, and they're going to have to figure out how to communicate with the safeties as well as the linebackers. You know, so I, I think that's the biggest thing for the new guys when they come in, for the cornerbacks at least, is getting the communication from the outside. And then you just go play. You know, Adonis OT and, and, and uh, you know, Kalana Makala and those guys, just go play. 
and see what you can do, and then you go from there once you get to the fall. But the biggest thing is the communication. That's what you can work on most because the coaches can't come work on your technique during the, the spring workout. So you, you got to get down to the communications as much as you can. And I would like to see, I think certainly that's important, but when we talk about doing one-on-ones and stuff, you got a whole bunch of new DBs coming in. Let them come out and start guarding these receivers and just these throwing lines and see what they can do. And one of them stands out and picks a couple balls off and stuff, and you're like, oh, they'll get some buzz. And I think you'll start to see some guys separate. And not that, you know, if, if you don't perform well in the summer, it's not that you can't do that later, but, you know, it might be some that this guy's ready to make the transition from high school to college. I'd, with all those new DBs in there, I'd love to just see them out there trying to cover Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughns and Devin Williams and Amon Rossi Brown and all those guys and see how they do. Because we've seen some guys emerge in the summer like, that guy's going to be a player. So yeah. I, I would love to see a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a question from Angel on YouTube. He says, if you guys could add five players from this year's draft to the 2019 team, which five would have the biggest impact? Um, from the like from any program, is it? Yeah, all Ky- first Ky- Kyler Murray. <laughs> yeah, like Kyler Murray, Quinn yeah. and awesome. Williams. Uh, just give me the first Joe five. Bosa, yeah. <laughs> you know, was it Nick Bosa? Is it Joe? Nick Bosa? Nick Bosa. Yeah, yeah. give um, me Quinn and Williams in the middle. I'll take one of the edge rushers. I don't care which one. The yeah. offensive tackle from Washington State. Like he, he's Andre probably Dillard. Gonna, yeah, you need a, be good a corner maybe. Air raid offense. Uh, yeah, I would probably take a couple of DBs. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you need an offensive lineman, though. Yeah, you do. That's I'll take one. Andre Dillard, but I'm taking Kyler Murray, no doubt. Because yeah. you know what he can do. Um, so there's two of my picks. I'm taking probably at least one DB. I'll take DeAndre Baker and maybe Byron Murphy, former USC target. Yeah, from um, Washington. So that's four, and then I'll take an edge rusher. Give me the edge rusher. Bosa or something. I don't know. Quentin Williams in the middle of the – nah, USC's got good enough tackles. Give me an edge rusher. I'll take a um, kid from Kentucky, Josh Allen, I think it is. Okay, yeah, he's he's a stud. Um, my yeah, all those – Good stuff. They, they would all help. Um. <laughs> True. Uh, we have similar questions from Killer B and Ulao Lao. Uh, Killer says, who is the strongest person on the team right now? And Ulao says, Ooh. is anyone on the team a workout warrior? Now that Porter's Strong? gone, who's the workout studs? I would say maybe Connor Murphy. He works out a lot. He's he was it. part of the discipleship of Porter and, <laughs> and, his, and his family. His brother is a workout person. His, his dad. Sister, his, his sister's dad. a workout like fitness model or something. But his dad was like a, a fitness Mr. model. Olympic. Yeah, yes, I think so. Yeah. But yeah, his sister, I think, went to Arizona State and she's like six foot two, like some kind of fitness model or something. I mean, he has this brother too that's in the NFL. True. That's true. That and. <laughs> Connor has this really amazing mullet going right now. Always, so that's yeah, strength right there. So I like I like that call. Um but then who's the strongest? Is that the same thing? And you're uh, I don't know. Who would you I say? mean you look in the middle of the defense. Those it's like Jake Tufele, maybe yeah. or Peely, Peely. Peely maybe. I I don't know who's the strongest of those guys. Yeah, I'm not sure. Well I'll try to arm wrestle them all and tell you how it goes. <laughs> That, that sounds interesting. Oh, yeah. speaking, should we tease this already? Next week, we're going to have the new drum major on the show. How oh, exciting is that? I was going to keep it a secret. Oh, my bad. Right. I'm sorry. No, I, I'm a, excited. I want to tease it. No, India Anderson. So if you didn't see on social media, it's pretty cool. So USC is going to have their first female drum major. So uh, yeah. reached out to her today. She's going to come on the show. She'll be in studio next week. So get your questions ready for that. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think it's a cool... Uh, deal. It's not Tommy Trojan. They said, you know, they said today on social media, don't call her Tammy Trojan or Helena Troy. She's a USC drum major. 
Um, so the last guy did it for a couple years. They usually, are they usually like grad students or are they like, I don't know. How, no we'll, we'll talk to uh, India about it. But pretty cool. You see the picture of her. I mean, you know, none of us would want to fight her. She's a, she's she's, she's, fierce. she's tough. And she got a watch, sword in her hand. When she got named, she immediately was like, "I'm." Ready. She grabbed the sword <laughs> yeah, and like did the crazy. thing. I was like, like, "Whoa!" She was like, "Practice this." She's before. ready. She's fierce. She's uh, yeah. So she'll uh, be on the show next. She was week. a tuba player, right? So she was in the tuba oh, group and then to went the to yeah. Yeah, I actually know a former drum major, which is weird. Oh really? Yeah, oh. that's all there. Um, we have a Twitter question from Twitter. Easy Rider 68. Hold on, if I, we'll pull it up. Uh, he says, What did you guys think about the special teams play during the spring? Do you think it will be a repeat of last year? I think with Ben Griffiths yeah, there, it can't be a repeat. that can't be a repeat. There can always be a repeat. You can get injured and then yeah. back to punting 22 yard punts early <laughs> in the season. But it's hard, like, it's hard to tell, like, team wise, what we didn't see a ton. Uh, but at least on the punting side, you're, you've gone from like, you know, should be adequate to usually was below average to now could be uh, special. I think that, way that, above average. that he can change the game. He can flip the field a little bit more. He also can punt in different directions. He's used to, uh, to, to kicking on the run. So that's not something you, you can do just different things with him. Uh, so he gives you options. He's a big dude too. I don't know how much they want to try to, you know, run any fakes or stuff with him, but he could potentially run some fakes as well. Uh, not he's he's in that Kyle Negretti style, you yeah. know, where he'll, he'll go and hit somebody if need be. Um, so I do want to see him tackle somebody. I, I think the this biggest awesome. question the biggest question is getting Chase McGrath back and then having him battle with Michael Brown. I think that's a bigger question mark coming out of the of the spring. You don't really know about the returners yet. You just kind of assume it's going to be the same guys. Because, you know, with the exception of Valus Jones, you know, if he's not back, then you, you plug in somebody. But I think it'll be the same guys otherwise. I don't, I don't know that anyone's basically showed out. You know, if you remember back when Adoree or even Jack Jones, when they first would make a couple of returns, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. But no one really caught, caught my eye like that uh, this spring. No. We'll see in the fall when it's more of a competition uh, and they're trying to decide those positions and stuff. But I'm not sure. I want to see. So, like, some guy's making a nice return off of, you know, he outkicks his coverage. Uh, some dude's making an amazing return, and like the second to last guy, he has to make a cut, and he basically is cutting like right towards Ben Griffiths. And so, normally, if it's just a punter, like you could make that that quick move right away and beat him, but then he just gets plowed, like he's like just gets destroyed by this former Aussie football player. So, I think that would be fun to see. <laughs> there was that one game where Reed Butteridge totally took out someone. I forgot yeah. what game it was, but it was at the Coliseum. I remember that. So it's not. Uh, it, it has been a, done before, Ryan. Right, but when it's going to be someone like this, like yes, when if you different. remember David Beeler, uh, who was the kicker, who used to be a USC fullback, he ended up getting a drafter signing with the Dallas Cowboys. He kicked like a 49 field, 49 yard field goal against Cal, I think, with a neck roll on. Um, so he was like their long field goal kicker, but also playing like fullback and stuff. So badass kickers are pretty cool. And they, they loved him at the, at the, I remember he went to the NFL combine and usually he was on the day like kickers, I think it was like tight ends and then like special teams players. When he did the bench press, like people were leaving cause like the tight ends were done, but you don't usually watch it. No one cares about the kickers bench pressing and stuff, but he drew a crowd and became like, you know, like an early sort of viral video. Like what he put up like 28 reps or something on the bench press for a kicker. So that stuff's cool. So I love when kickers are like real football players, not that they're not all not, but like these are guys are like real, real football players. Punters are people too, right? Yes. Punters that played seven years of Australian rules football are definitely people. Oh, wow. Uh, we have a Facebook question from, 
Uh, Steven, he says, has there been any clarity on whether Clancy Pendergast is going with a 4-3-5-2 or 3-4 defense this year? All of the above? Yeah. He'll use all of them. You know, they're, they're showing more four down fronts uh, in early uh, down situations, and then they'll break out their pass rush unit for third downs and stuff. So I think it's going to be more based on down and distance this year, even more than it has been in the last couple of years. Yeah. I think when you see Connor Murphy in, it's going to look more like a four, two, five kind of thing. But, oh, there's a Hunter Echoes in there. Now it's going to look more like a, uh, you know, a three, four kind of thing. So it's just, you know, it's going to depend on the personnel. How, how much they rotate, I mean, that's, we're curious to see. I think they could, there's a potential to rotate a lot, especially with the de the depth you're going to have in the front seven. But we haven't seen a lot of that, you know, traditionally. Uh, they, they talk about doing it, but I don't know if it's going to happen. Yep. Uh, we have a question from Ryan Young on YouTube who says, which early enrollee besides Drake Jackson will most likely make an impact? Ben Griffith. Yeah, that's the first one that came to my mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, who else? I was going to say Drake London, but he's not early enrollee. Could John, be Britton Allen, potentially. John Jackson III, I think, has an opportunity to, yeah. to get in those roles, you know especially if they go more four and five wide, uh, just because of the numbers at receiver and the fact that they'll have a little leg up. Uh, so we'll see in the fall how he fits in when you get Munir McLean in there, you get Drake London in there, you get those guys. So, But he's, a, he's another name that comes to mind. And a lot of the other guys are in positions of strength. Yeah, yeah we'll let Raylan go forth and, and uh, even to an extent, Britton Allen, because he's at safety behind Isaiah Polamau and, and Talanoa Hufunga, and there's already a, a nickel with Chase Williams. So, you know, some of those guys are just in positions of, of strength already. Uh, and Keaton Slovis, the same thing. He's going to be the backup as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I would go with that. We have a Facebook question from Andrew who says, with our new offense, we have potential to put 34, 35 points up a game uh, that may cause teams to throw a lot. Do you have confidence in our defensive line to get to the quarterback? More confidence in the defensive line to get there this year than last year after Porter Gustin's injury. Just because yes. I think Brandon Peely's taking his game to another level. I think Jacob Lichtenstein is going to take a, a step forward. And I think those young edge guys – are going to have an opportunity and are going to have you know going to make some more plays with Hunter Eccles, Abdul Malik McLean, uh, Elijah Winston, those guys coming off the edge. I think they're going to make more of an impact, and then Drake Jackson because you're basically just it's basically Malik Dorton and Porter Gustin for Drake Jackson and a year of development from those guys. Yeah, and I think I think you would take that the younger guys in the year of development for everybody. Jay Tefele is going to be in the backfield more than he was last year, so I, I think you would trust that they would get a little bit more pressure than last year. Yeah. I think Chris Rector is going to have a big year. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Um, we are reaching the top of the hour, so let's get into some rapid fire because we do have a lot of questions. They, nice. People do. And if you want to get a up. late call in, we, sure. we had some of the early calls. And Still then, uh, screening calls. Poor Mike is over there sitting in the in the room just waiting for you to call. So Insane. we had that one, was a couple weeks ago when we had like three people on hold. Yeah, we I, had a blitz. So we had like seven in the beginning of the show two weeks yeah. ago. It was crazy. We, we can have uh, three. We set it up that there's three at a time we could have. So that's uh, usually it's not going to go over that. But. Yeah. Uh, just a friendly reminder, Ryan, you haven't had a food analogy yet. <laughs> no so, food analogy. Okay. I, I mean, I don't want to force it. to the end of the show. I, no, I don't want to force it. Someone already requested it from you, Ryan. I'm oh. just trying to see if it would naturally come. We need some come. good questions, people. Oh, get, shots fired, to. you guys. Uh, Killer B has a question for you, Ryan. He says, any new thoughts on the quarterback competition new thoughts it's sort of like when you make your <laughs> spaghetti no, <I'm> <laughs> um yeah no i think i mean i still think jt daniels is going to be the guy you know matt fink 
uh, essentially bowing out at this point. Um, you know, I guess it makes sense for him. We didn't really think he was going to do that. We felt he was maybe a little bit higher up. I know there's a lot of people that are in the Jack Sears camp. Um, but I, I, f I feel like it's still JT Daniels to lose. I don't think it's over yet by any stretch. But I think this new system brought guys closer together. You see a guy like Slovis coming in and see him performing well. I think that's a factor shows you how an effective offensive system can have a positive impact on all the quarterbacks. I think it really has uh, on all those guys. If I had to bet, I would still say it's a, a JT Daniels uh, to win, but you know, we'll see. And I'm, it'll be curious to what we can watch this summer, see how those guys look. Um, but you know, the fact that Slovis did, did as well as he did, I think just shows you this is a much more friendly quarterback system and one that's kind of putting the players in a position to succeed where I don't really think the system we saw the last couple of years was that at all. It was sort of like, hey, have the players bail you out. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. Uh, we have a Facebook question from John. He says, Porter Gustin using Adderall, it's an attention deficit drug that's being, being abused widely. Are our football players using it? It's not something that should be toyed with. Is anyone monitoring this? It's very co common on college campuses, right? Like yes, people, it is. for what, you know, you could use it if you want to, what I've read, if you want to lose weight. Uh, it's not necessarily a, uh, a great, I mean, people would like, I, there was one former football player who, after he left the league, he started taking it and he, it's like, he said, like, uh, I forget what the, the analogy he used, but you're like more awake, you're more aware of what's going on and you're more intense. Um, so I don't think it's really more for working out. It could be more for playing in a Indeed, game yeah. and things like that. But it's used commonly by college students to stay up late and study and be more aware for their tests and things like that. So, I, I mean, it's a college problem, not just a college football or sports problem, I would think. Yeah. It's been an issue in the NFL. You know, a lot of players have used it and they got put on a performance enhancing uh, level because – you know, it keeps you super focused during the game, you know, because if you're in a game, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be locked into what you're doing and you can be super focused at what you're doing. You know, you're going to play that much better. Um, so I think that it's something the NFL is trying to figure out and like it's the potential that it may not even be a PD any longer on the next um, collective bargaining agreement. That's something that, that the players have pushed for, I believe, you know, just to try to get it downgraded to not being on that level. So because, I mean, in 2013, I think it was, or 2014, uh, Richard Sherman estimated that like 50% of the league was on it. Wow. I think is what it was. I'd have to look that up in a, in a minute. But, you know, so a lot of the players were using it. So I don't necessarily think that it's in the PED category that you think. When you think PEDs, you think steroids. Everyone thinks steroids. Right. But performance enhancing, you know, something that makes you a more focused player on game days, that is performance enhancing as well. Yeah. yeah. I think there's some dangers too when you use it working out because of what it can do to your heart rate and stuff. So there's, I mean, I'm no drug expert and stuff, but it's, uh, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, you know, for Port Augustine's sake, hopefully it was just that he asked to use that or whatever. He was coming back off of the injury uh, and there's nothing else that he was using there too. I mean, but if there was, then, you know, you're going to probably see him drop in the draft if there was something he was using that wasn't announced that he wasn't supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, we have a Twitter question from Steve. He says, anecdotal or otherwise, have you noticed a decrease in renewal, renewals from donors? My tailgate is going to be about half the size for 2019. We hear a lot of that, unfortunately. Um, you know, we're not getting sort of official numbers from USC. I think we've talked about this in the war room, but we've got a lot of 
calls, texts. I mean, it started last year when you know the you have the everyone had to change their seats essentially twice. You know, you went from 2017 to wherever you're sitting. 2018, they took out all those seats, so you had to move then, and then people moved again. Um, they sent out a lot of renewal notices. You had to pay higher fees and renovation, all that stuff. So yeah, I mean, there was a lot of people complaining, but there's some people were taking advantage of it, where basically there was more open seats. Like if you were waiting for better seats, some of those people with better seats got mad and left. A lot of them were, they've had the same seats for, we've heard so many times. We, our families had these seats for 40 years. The people that would sit next to us, they were in our wedding because we sat next to them at football games all the time. And then basically that all changed. Like you're, you were moving and you weren't sitting next to your neighbors. And that was a big part. And I think USC probably underestimated how important that was for a lot of the fans. Um, but it was a big part of it. But so some of those people didn't renew, but it opened up better seats for some other people that were like, hey, I'm going no matter what. This is a tradition. So you got to move your seats, but they actually ended up improving their seats because people left. But I think it's a result of more people not renewing their seats uh, and then some people kind of using that to take advantage. So we don't know the numbers. We'll see uh, when the season rolls around, but I, I don't think it's going to be positive. And, you, you're, and I wrote a story about this last year about the being like the perfect storm uh, because parking stunk last year, tailgating like went away, everyone moved their seats, uh, you know, the higher prices, all that stuff. Then the team goes five and seven. And that's, you know, that's about as bad as it gets. So I think it's not going to be positive. If they come out and start winning games, though, I think you'll see people coming back. But uh, it's a you know reduced stadium, 77,000 seats. The first game, Fresno State might bring 20,000 people. So, But we'll see how many USC fans end up going there and if they give us any kind of numbers as far as season ticket renewals go. Good stuff. Uh, shotgun, Tester Troy has a Facebook que or a YouTube question for you. He says, have you noticed any dogs fighting for that starting spot on the offensive line? I believe that was Julao. Julao, Julao. Same thing. Same thing? Oh, yes. Okay. Um, uh, no, it's the it's the same five guys. I mean, I think Brett Nealon has taken a step forward and basically entrenched himself at the center spot. Um, but I think it's going to be – and Elijah Vera Tucker will be in there. Jalen McKenzie will be in there. They'll be the three new guys that you have. But there's it's not a lot of competition right now. So I don't think you necessarily have to be a dog at this point to be in the top five. No. You can be a pup. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, uh, JFeezy8 on YouTube says, guys, we – why does some fans and analysts anoint Jack Sears as the next Michael Vick? I know he had a decent game against ASU, but come on. He ain't no Michael Vick. I'll tell you that. No. Because no one's Michael Vick. No one's running a four. I think he ran a four-two something at the combine. Yeah, something ridiculous. The best time ever by a quarterback. That, that's not going to happen. I don't get it. I think it's mostly people that think that JT Daniels stinks. And sometimes when you get something stuffed down your throat, uh, let's say – <laughs> Every you know, all your friends tell you about this uh, amazing tortellini that you need to eat from our Trader Joe's, our friends over at Trader Joe's, and you get sent too much of it. You know, Game of Thrones, like people like just stuffing down your throat, and you're like tired of it. JT Daniels comes in, and he was anointed the second coming. He graduated early. Everyone talked. That's all you, you couldn't say. JT Daniels without he should still be in high school and blah 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 blah. And some people are tired of it. And then the offense stunk. So they're going to say, you th shove this guy down my throat. You made me eat this tortellini. You made me watch a stupid Game of Thrones. And then I didn't like it. And it stunk. So 
Now I'm totally against that. Even though you might be going forward, like the last season of Game of Thrones is coming out, or uh, we're having this big pasta dinner over our house and the tortellini is going to be featured. But I'm tired of it. I don't want that stuff anymore. Is this bad? I'm just trying to work <laughs> at a food thing. And so they're they're over it. Now, I'm not blaming JT Daniels for the offense stinking last year, but some people were tired of hearing about him, and so they're going to blame him for the offense. If Jack Sears started all the games last year, the offense still would have stunk. It was the offense that stunk, not the quarterback. So I don't buy that. Uh, you know, so Game of Thrones, maybe you're watching on your phone instead of like on a big TV or the, the tortellini was like expired and you weren't, you know, it wasn't the fault of the tortellini in the Game of Thrones. That's why, but a lot, I think that's why a lot of people hate it. The offense stunk and they were really tired of hearing about the guy. To be rapid fire, that was a very convoluted. I'm sorry. Answer. I try hey, to work you in should your not food. be talking shotgun. <laughs> I try to work the in the food offender. analogy. You know, Ryan, it just when when it's natural, just it's so much better. You know, yeah. don't don't force the food analogy. You know, well, it's natural. Food. But maybe Game of Thrones was more real, where it's like, are you? I've tired never of, seen a I've, minute of Game of I've Thrones. I've never either. And people, you know, but there's people that are sick of hearing it. You see it on social media. I think people were sick of JT Daniels. So once the offense didn't work, it was easy to say it's his fault. Ryan makes me work too much, so I haven't seen it either. Oh. <laughs> wow. I don't have HBO, so you guys. Are My roommate does. Yeah. Mm. All right, ready for rapid fire? Actual rapid fire? Oh, you like want Do you agree the, or no? Hold on one second. I have a Facebook uh, question loaded up. Do you up. agree with that or no? Do you think? I don't even know the answer to your question because what's the question? Why does everyone like Jack Sears? Like what? Not everyone. <laughs> no. There's a lot of people that just. If you didn't have all the analogies, yes, I would agree with it. Okay. Part, that, that's part of it. That there was a you know people felt uh, there was an overbearance of it. Is that the yeah. right word? Yeah. I don't know about that word, but. Yeah, I, I just I feel like people also put too much stock in the ASU game. It put just a lot of stock in it. Way too much stock in it, and so I just I I don't know. I think it's a shallow analysis of the quarterbacks if you're just like, Jack Sears, yes. And the whole being athletic thing, like if you watched, I said this on the podcast the other day, if you watched spring practice, if you watched every spring practice, you would not come away going, wow, uh, mobile, mobility for a quarterback is important. Like it didn't matter at all. Like, And it, Graham Harrell said as much. He yeah. was asked multiple times and he said it's not a determining It's factor. like nice to have. It's like it's like if you, you're in a, you have a, you're this beautiful kitchen and you have a walk. A walk is like a nice to have thing. It's not necessary. You want saucepans and you want, you know, all that kind of stuff, utensils. You don't need a walk. It would be nice to have. In this offense, it's nice to have a quarterback that can run, but not necessarily necessary. But some people think it's necessary, but it's not. You don't need a walk. It's nice to have a walk. Sometimes <laughs> it takes up too much space. Yeah. Oh. And you have to use a lot of scholarship. Yeah. When you have a bunch of things that you don't necessarily need. That was a more natural food analogy. Great job, sort of food organic. And organic. Facebook question. Here we go. Go for it. <laughs> oh, yes. Thank you. Uh, Paul on Facebook says, how close is Solomon Tuyalapupu to coming back? Would love to see him and EA in the middle together. Shotgun, go for it. Yeah, we'd like to see him on the field mm. for two weeks in a row. Two practices in a row. Yeah. We put in the war room that we thought the, the foot thing wasn't over. And he came out and practiced and played well the first couple of times, and then he was gone the rest of the time. So our our intel on that was correct, but we don't know when he's going to come back. It's a little disturbing that you thought he was going to be back, and he really wasn't. Uh, he thought he was going to be back last summer. When we talked to yeah. him for signing day after he committed to USC and signed with the Trojans in February, he said he expected to be ready in uh, summer for the workouts. That never happened. Then it was fall. Okay, we see him in fall. He doesn't do anything. Okay, now, okay, spring is gonna not going to happen. Now, 
it's, it's just a continuing thing. Until we see him for two weeks straight, it, it's a question that we can't answer. Yep. I, like, I like your picture, Paul. He's got the American flag in the background, goatee going. Nice job. It, it looks very fratty, to be honest, Paul. I'm sorry. Fratty? It does. It, it looks kind of looks like he's coming back from a you know war or something. I don't know. I think it's badass. No? Let us know, Paul, yeah. about the, the story. Shotgun, Hope go for it. HR Picking Stuff wants us to know that HR. Coach Harvey Hyde has won more games than Ryan Keeley and Shotgun combined. I'll trust his eyes. That's true. Coach Harvey Hyde picked Jack Sears. Um the so caveat good. is, though, not to put Coach Hyde on blast, he did only show up for Saturday scrimmages and not the whole camp. He did. So, um, and sometimes Jack Sears looked better than he did on those days. But, yeah, that no, Harvey Hyde won a lot of games. He's done, you know, he'll forget more about coaching than all of us will ever know. But, true. Very true. You know, we all have our opinions. We watch practice and we tell you what we think. True. And my name doesn't have a, it's K-E-L-Y-H-R, so just get it right. I'm just kidding. Go for Whatever. it, Shotgun. Jasper, assuming we have no first-rounders this year in the draft, which is likely the case, which player in this year's draft class will be a steal for a team that picks him in the later rounds? I'm kind of thinking Iman Marshall is going to do well. I think he's going to be one of those five-star guys that actually performs well. So maybe he's like a fifth or sixth-round pick, but makes a team like Nikel Roby and then just has a good career. That's just a gut feeling. You guys... I was kind of thinking Marvell Tell too. Yeah. So uh, he's just a super freak athlete. So if he puts yeah. it all together at the yeah. next level, he's got. Yeah, and I'm very curious about the fact that the NFL scouts are swip, swap, swapping both of them. You know, some of them see potentially. Swap. Potentially, there's some of them see uh, Biggie Moore as a safety and Marvell Moore as a corner. So I'm like, what are they seeing that necessarily USC's coaches didn't necessarily see? So curious about that. Jeffrey <laughs> also asked, "Do you think Toa will get drafted?" No. no. While preparing for the draft, is Porter still in school? Scourge 77 asks. Usually when players announce their intention to go to the draft or they graduate and they are preparing for the draft, they are not still in school. Every once in a while, a guy has like one class left and he'll do it. But usually they want to focus all their attention, all their energy on training and getting ready for the draft, the combine, you know, the pro day, all that stuff. So it's not normally the thing. Same thing with basketball players. Like Kevin Porter Jr. is already out of, out of school. He's not at USC anymore. Yeah. And with Porter – He's working it. Like, he focuses on that all the time anyway, but I think he's 100% doing that now, especially coming back from the injury. Killer B, do you think the new offense will give uh, is going to give some players a, an opportunity to be All-Americans? Andre Dillard was a third-round, uh, third-team All-American. So it can help, it can hurt at the same time because you don't block for as long as far as offensive linemen. So it's harder to you know kind of get that notoriety. Oh, that guy holds up against this defender or whatever. But the skill players, that's where you have an opportunity to put up big numbers. And if you have some highlight plays, then you can you know, work your way up. I mean, guys like you know, Baker Mayfield or uh, you know, Hollywood Brown in that offense at Oklahoma, those guys have put up really big numbers and been All-Americans. Yeah. Um, I'm interrupting this for an update. So I looked at Paul's picture more in depth, and I was totally wrong. I'm sorry. He says, 20 years ago, underway on a submarine off the coast of South Korea. So Ryan was exactly right. Pow. <laughs> Sorry, Paul, about that. I retract my statement. Something else from 20 years ago. Jesse asked, did R.J. Soward ever play in the league? Because Keeley didn't know who R.J. Soward was, really. Oh. Um, and they were kind of debating that in the, in the comments. <laughs> I know. Sorry, guys. Yes, he did play. He played 13 games with the Jaguars. He made two starts. He made 14 catches out of, out of 34 targets. 14 catches out of 34 targets. That's not a very good catch no. percentage. 
154 yards and one touchdown. That's also possibly that the Jaguars were that bad. I think it was the Jaguars were that bad when he was there. So, you know, the quarterback may not have been accurate. So he had a cup of coffee in the NFL. Yeah, yeah. that was it. Uh, Dennis Campbell, who's the next coach? Clay Helton. <laughs> Clay Helton will be the coach tomorrow and in August and September. And that's, that and that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Question, are we in the hunt for some big-time O-line prospects in the 2020 cycle? Uh, I think it starts with the, the Triple M's, Jonah Monheim, Miles Murrell, and Drake Metcalf. Those are the three biggest targets for USC. Also, guys like Jeffrey Percy, who's a little bit of a project. Uh, Andrew Gentry is a Colorado offensive lineman. 6'8", Tosh Baker from Arizona. He's got the length and the size they're looking for. So there's some names for you there. Yeah. Dra Digon, sorry, not Dragon. Digon, don't hire within the Trojan family because you lost hiring privileges? You see that intonation for That's the question? Yeah. Uh, no, if the person is qualified, why would you hire them? You are losing credibility to stupid statements like that. Nice. Ooh. Here's the problem. You've based all of your hiring for important positions solely on knowledge that they are USC people. Like, the only reason Lynn Swan was hired is because he played football at USC. The only reason Pat Hayden was hired. Would anyone else have hired Lynn Swan to be their athletic director? No. Anyone? No. Like a Division II school? No. Pat Hayden? No. They wanted to hire someone that's been an athletic director before. Would anyone have hired... Who was going to hire Steve Sarkeesian after the Washington job? He was almost getting fired there. USC, a better program than Washington, goes out and hires him. Takes Lane Kiffin away after one year at Tennessee. Uh, media. Like there's The reasons they hired these people is because of their familiar. They were familiar with them. They were from Pete Carroll or whatever. Clay Helton. Was any major college program going to hire Clay Helton as the head coach? No. USC did because he was already there. The problem is USC only looked at the fact that they knew them, the, familiar, the being familiar with them. That's it. So that's why you lose the privileges. Stop doing it. If you're focusing on that, only hire based on uh, the, the experience that they have and they're qualified. You said qualified candidates. All those people I mentioned were not qualified candidates. That's why you got away from it. You've lost your, high, you're, you lost your privileges. If you have a kid, uh, you want another food analogy, and you say, hey, son, you can have two cookies. And then he goes and he eats 10 cookies. And then you do it again. You're like, son, make sure you only eat two cookies this time. He eats 15 cookies. You lose your cookie privileges. USC's <laughs> lost their cookie privileges. I'm going to give you the two cookies from now on. You don't get to do everything, whatever you want. So whoever, who was that? Diagon. Diagon, bam. That's what you got. Uh, interrupting for a Facebook question. Will says, how do we expect to see the tight ends used in this offense? It used to be an elite group. Last year, it seemed to be a distant afterthought. Last year, it was a terrible group. It was the worst rated group of... Any, any players on the team were the three of the, the bottom four were tight ends. Um, the question is if they find anyone they think is a mismatch. If they have a mismatch, they will use it. You'll split him out. You'll have him inside. You'll do some different things. Jason Morrow from Texas Tech. I've used that example several times. Cliff Kingsbury's first year at Texas Tech. He won the Mackey Award, given to the best tight end in the nation. Because they, he was a mismatch, and they threw the ball to him all the time. He had over 100 catches. If USC had a guy like Daniel Mortabebe, it was healthy, he's a mismatch. And you can get one-on-one -on -one matchups in this offense, and he's a guy that you would throw the ball to a lot. The other guys that are on the roster have to prove themselves that they can be that mismatch, and they can catch the ball, Josh Follow, um, because he's the guy that's supposed to be the receiver tight end, and he has not consistently caught the ball. So he's got to catch the ball better, and if he does that, you know, maybe they'll use them more often. The guys that are coming in with Jude Wolf and Ethan Ray, those guys are, are pretty dynamic. We'll see if they get opportunities as well. Yeah. I wouldn't look at it as, uh, okay, you got to have this many tight ends, you got to have this many running backs and this many wide receivers. I think 
uh, Graham Harrell's looking at is like, we want to get the best players out there. So if three tight ends emerge as amazing players, they're going to be in the in the mix. If it's only Josh Follow, and he's the only, then he'll be in the mix. But it's just it's going to be get the best players out there. And, and like Shotgun said, put them in mismatch situations. But they'll use a bunch of tight ends. If they have a bunch of talented tight ends that can catch a football, they're not putting their hand on the ground and, and doing a lot of uh, road-grade blocking or anything in this offense. But if they can go out there and catch the football, they're going to be in the mix. But if the, the top pass catchers are all eight of them are wide receivers, then you're not going to see as much from the tight ends. Uh, people enjoyed the return of a Ryan Rant, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. LDR. Hashtag Ryan Rat. LDR, do you think Keenan Criston will return kicks once he's on campus along with ITS? ITS hasn't necessarily been the guy that's returning kicks. No. I think that Keenan Criston has a chance to be in that mix, though. He put up some, he has. He, yeah. yeah, he put up some big track numbers recently, yep. I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, David, hey, Keely, how come we have hey. such a horrible fan base? How can we base Helton's success off of one bad season? Because it's more than one bad season. I think if you looked at each of the three seasons, there were things where USC was not reaching their full potential. Like the whole thing about how Helton comes out after five and seven season and says, if we just had a couple more points, we would have won those games and that's a winning season. It was more than that. It was players not reaching their potential. It's keeping coaches on longer than they should have been on. It's things like that where you question his decision-making. And granted, he's a first-time, full-time head coach. So he's going to make those decisions. And I think that goes to the broader reason of why you don't bring in a first-time head coach for a job like USC because you don't have those mistakes so it's much more than a losing season but to his credit he has made important changes in spring but you know fans are gonna be fans and they can react how they want to react killer b is rick's reclassifying right now it doesn't really look like it really matters for usc because he would still go to lsu even if he did right now Ah, hr uh will jt learn how to reach a first if they have space that's the other thing Will JT learn how to reach a first down marker before he slides this year? That's a that's a great question. We'll see. Yeah. We we haven't seen him over on Dado learning how to slide necessarily, no. and learning w what the right distance is. To like slide. we said, that wasn't a focus this spring, but maybe yeah, it will well, be in the fall. Never know. Uh, Skyler, any thoughts on the Pac-12 network? At this rate, it should be free. Well, that's about how many people are watching it. So. <sighs> it's it's bad. And the, if you look at John Willer did some great reporting on the uh, revenue stuff. It's, it's it's you know worse than you even thought. Uh, it's not going to change until either Larry Scott's gone or that you know when the new uh, the new uh, deal gets done. But that's going to be five years from now. So I would love to see some sort of a la carte. We talked David Woods and I talked about it on the Pac-12 podcast this week, where you know would you would you pay like ten or fifteen bucks if you could get the Pac-12 network by itself? Like we would probably pay that. You could get it on the app and it'd be cool. Uh, but right now you can't do any of that. So it's just it's pretty bad. Unpopular opinion. I like the Pac-12 network. It, no, I, there's some good program now because I get to watch baseball from a lot of different areas. If if there's Thursday, Friday games, or I get to watch replays of games, I like all those factors of it. I like the fact that I can watch the 60 minute version of a USC game, uh, so I can tape on that and then watch every play. You know, there's some things they do really well, but it's just the but distribution. Like not the the number... distribution is the biggest issue. Is the number one issue. The second issue is picking and choosing the right content to show yes. at the right times. UCLA is number one in baseball. A couple weeks back, about a month ago, they played at Stanford, who was number two in baseball in the country. Those games were not on Pac-12 now. They showed like Washington State and Utah or something, right? Yeah. Like it was like awful teams. But that that's yes, yeah, they don't they don't get it. They don't do it right. Um, and they you know it's it's that's a long story, but yes, <laughs> they do a horrible job. You want to look at bad management? You look at the USC athletic department and look at the Pac-12 network, and it's just Pac-12 like overall, not networks. Yeah, because Larry Scott's we're a media company. 
Yeah. Larry Scott's terrible. Uh, Killer B, what's the latest on Kyle, needs, uh, Kyle Ford's knee? Is he going to be ready for PRPs? I do not think he'll be ready for PRPs. Look for him potentially in fall. That's when best chance to be back on the field and doing a, a bunch of stuff. You don't really want him to go through PRPs and bang knees with somebody or something and have no. a bad thing. David, hey, hey guys, is a 10-win season a good season? For some, it's horrible. Why is that? No, it would be good this year. Yeah. This you year, double your wins, it's yes, good. Th that's what I was going to say. The same thing. If you double your win total, it's good. In every year, it's not because USC is a school that wins championships. So yeah, that won't get you a championship. Keely, have you noticed if any starting old linemen uh, are on the punt team or the kick return team? Ooh, I don't think they they do that. I mean, I don't think they're doing on the punt protection. At least from what I saw, I don't think there's offensive linemen there anymore. Questioning my memory of special teams, which is there's still some offensive linemen there. Is there still like some Elijah Vera Tucker? Yeah. Um and. I feel like Austin Jackson is back yeah. there too, right? Yeah. So, see that that when you're trying to cover a punt, those are guys that don't tackle people. It just doesn't but they're make the guys sense. that are the protectors for them. Yeah. the bodies. I thought they could backed off of that a little bit. Maybe not all the way. Okay. Uh, and sometimes they use Brandon Peely back there. Yeah. So. Yeah. Jumping in with a Facebook question though, uh, Jeffrey says, "How can you pick any starting QB after 15 spring practices? Don't you have to wait and see how fall camp pans out before you can even think about picking who will start?" Well, you can pick them whenever you want. Yeah. That's up to you. That's decision making. You can but watch one throw if you want and pick if you want. The coaches have not picked anyone. No. Technically. They've given a depth chart and shown where players would be if a game was to be played right now, yeah. but you know, they, they said they were not releasing or not announcing a starting quarterback at any time until late in the fall camp. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jeff, this show would be very boring if we just waited till after the game and then talked about what happened and just say, oh, you know, we'll talk to you in September. <laughs> so we got to, you know, we do a little speculation. It, Angel, if USC makes the playoffs, would everyone still say that Clay is incompetent if they make the playoffs? No, I think he'd win more people over. Uh, they were saying that early and then he made the, you know, won the Rose Bowl and then he won a lot of people back. But even the, the, you know, the Cotton Bowl year, there was just still a lot of detractors. So if he ended up making the playoff by changing the offense and stuff like that, yeah, he would win a lot of the people back. Now, there's still some people that would be like, nope, he's terrible, and that's never going to change. But there's the, the the independent, you know, vote, the, the middle ground. The undecideds have pretty much gone off the Clay Houghton bandwagon. They would, a lot of those would come back on if you made the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some people still think Gus Malzahn is a terrible quarterback. I mean, a terrible coach, even though they won a national championship. Yeah. No, they didn't. He didn't. No, he made it to the championship. And lost oh, lost to Florida State. Yeah. yeah. Some people still think it's terrible. Uh, is John Jackson really good, or are they just thin at wide receiver? A little bit of combination. I mean, we haven't like in the one on ones. He doesn't go against scholarship guys yeah. because there's that limited numbers. So he dominates the one on ones. But he's also made plays on the second team and stuff. We haven't seen him on the first team necessarily. But so it's a little bit of a combination. There. Yeah, we'll see in the fall more. I mean, he was more. he was good player and stuff in high school. I think he can you know he's just got to develop and, and grow. And I think he will. He's like Deontay Burnett light to me. Yeah, you know I, I think Deontay Burnett's probably a little bit better of an athlete, but both of them catch the ball really well. Yeah, but a heavier version of Deontay Burnett. Yes, even though he's Deontay Burnett light. Yes, <laughs> that's correct. Funny Ryan Thanos. Thanos asks. Who of the potential undrafted USC players will make an instant impact in the NFL? Instant impact. Oh, undrafted? Man. You don't usually make an instant impact as a bit undrafted player. That's tough. That would know. be, well, maybe if somebody is a kick returner or a special teams maven, and I don't think there's a someone of a Nuku in this group. Yeah. But if I'm guessing, if I were going to make, well, if I'm just making a guess, I would go with the Jenny Harris because he's very versatile. He, he is. He like, can play on special teams. He can return if you need him to. He can do a lot of different things. Yeah, he could get into a camp and be like, wow, this guy can make the roster. So, 
that's a good, good call. Jumping in with a Facebook question, Ryan, you started this. Desi on Facebook says, do you think USC would do a midseason firing if uh, coach firing if uh, USC gets off to a bad start? It's very tough first six games. Uh, I've said this before on the show. I think last year, Lin Swan was not going to make a change at head coach. I think this year, just gut feeling, he's much more open to it. If they start off like two and four, I could see, I could see that happening. Interesting. Just my my take. Some people say no. Um, just you know, but you would have asked me last year if they go five and seven, is he going to be fired? You'd say one hundred percent yes. Yep. That that didn't happen. But my gut is two and four start. There's going to you know with the new Coliseum, not a lot of people showing up. That the home games are going to be poorly attended. More you know there'll be more fans from opponents there. Uh, I think there would be a lot of pressure with the new president, and there would have to be some sort of change. That's that's if Lives One is still the athletic director at that point. Like we don't know. You got a new president coming in in July. Like that might change. Three of his employees were arrested by the Fed. So, um, I mean, that there could be a change there. So then who knows at that point? Yep. Killer B, when will this year's class report to campus? That will be, depending on when they start summer classes, will be in June or July. Some of them go to the first uh, gr uh, grouping of classes the first month. Some of them come for the July ones. So they'll be here in the summer. Uh, almost all of them. Uh, you, maybe one or two are stragglers sometimes. They only show up in the fall. How are the DBs taking to the new DB coach? Seems you to be talked to Greg well. Burns. What did you think? Yeah, no, it seems to be well. That, he doesn't have a lot of dudes to work with. You're, you got walk-ons in the in the first team, but it seems like, uh, you know, just a little bit different approach. Um, and yeah, it seems like he's doing a pretty good job. And the players we talked to seem to to like what he brings to the table. I think it's going to be hard to judge them until you get all the dudes in the fall. That's really a group you want to watch when everyone's there. More people are healthy. And uh, he'll have a lot more depth to deal with and, uh, when, when, when fall camp rolls around. Two more questions. Who's going to be the hardest game of the year for us? <sighs> Probably at Washington. That is a long road trip for us. You know, if it's for us. Oh, for was it? Or it, said, for us. it said for us. No. It didn't say for the team. I'm assuming he's, for us. Us, he's talking about the USC football oh, team, not, not us. <laughs> uh, you know, at Washington. Like, that's a playoff yeah. contender. USC. In September, too. It's yeah. a weird timing. Yeah, USC beat them uh, 2016, and that was you know a year that the Washington made the playoffs. Uh, that's you know, but Washington's a more talented team than they were then. Uh, they're you know, Chris Peterson's going more from OKGs, our kind of guys, to four and five star. You know, they they have a higher ranked recruiting class than USC this past year for the first time and, ever, I think. And psst, they have a quarterback this year. They have a you know, Ooh. Jacob Beesman. I don't even know if he's been the best quarterback uh, up there. Um, but yes, they, you know, they, they had a limitation. Yeah. Jake Browning was a limitation in a lot of different ways. Uh, but yeah, I think that's going to be the toughest game. What do you think? I mean, Notre Dame, right. That's going to be tough too, but I, yeah. I think Washington at Washington early in the season, Notre Dame's like game six, right. Uh, at Notre Dame. It's usually in the October. I think yes. it's the sixth game. I think it's the last of the first six that are tough. Cause you got, you know, Fresno state at home, BYU on the road. Utah at home, Stanford is at home on the road. Oh, it's Stanford's home. home. Stanford home, Washington on the road, and and Notre Dame on the road. I yeah, I would agree. Um, Shotgun, you said you have one more question. Uh, well, now I have two. Someone asked a second question, but someone asked, if, "Is Drake London going to be play basketball or football as his main sport?" He will start with the football team, and then when the season's over, he will go over to the basketball team. Yeah. So technically, since his scholarship is with football, he will spend more time with them, I would say. So I guess you would call that his main sport, but he's trying to be a true du dual sport player. Now, if two years in, 
football's not going well and basketball is, I wouldn't be surprised if he switched over there. Same thing if two years in basketball is yeah. not going well, football is. So, Because um, I think if he were to stick to one or the other, I think he could go pro in either sport. Wow. I think he's that talented. Um, but we'll see how it plays out when you're trying to play do both of them. Maybe maybe it works all out for him. The last question was from Jasper Ryan. Those cookies in your analogy are they Oreo double stuff or <laughs> Chips Ahoy? Oh uh, well, definitely Oreo over Chips Ahoy. Like I love yes. chocolate chip cookies, but Chips Ahoy are just kind of like Oreo double stuff. First chewy, of all, chewy Chips Ahoy. Those or are the, good. Ugh. I mean, they're they're all right. Get out of here. <laughs> they kind of taste waxy a little bit. But you yes. want for the Oreo, you got the double stuff Oreo. You take one of the pieces, the the chocolate pieces off, eat that or throw it away. Then the other one, <laughs> then you then you make it a quadruple stuff and you put it together. Wow. That's yeah, that's next level. I think you could actually buy them that way now. They, they, they have, have like ultra thin, ultra stuff. They have every configuration ultra of thin Oreo doesn't you make want. Any sense, Peanut butter yeah. and jelly, red velvet, doesn't mm. matter the flavor. Peach flavored. You know. Yeah. And we're coming off Easter, like the best Easter candy, so don't at me. But you got the, the Cadbury mini eggs <laughs> are freaking me. awesome. They're so good. The Cadbury it's mini ridiculous. eggs are like M&M's on steroids, and I love M&M's. <laughs> and then so the Cadbury cream eggs are freaking awesome, wow. too. So Now, the peanut butter ones, we I brought some in for the, the crew, the uh, Reese's peanut butter eggs. Those those are, you know, that's strong. But uh, the Cadbury ones, like, I love those. I have some rapid-fire USC-related questions on oh, okay. Facebook if you want to get to We should to probably that. wrap it up. I yes, love yes. chicks, ducks, and bunnies, sweet tarts. That's just me. Sweet tarts? Oh, yeah. He brings sweet tarts to practice. It's weird. Just Yeah. I like sugar. I mean, they're okay. fine, but chocolate's where you got to go. Uh, Pooter Williams says, who will be the big standout on this team? Big standout. Uh, Michael Pittman. Michael Pittman. Yeah. Uh, Amon Roth. Drake Jackson. Uh, Christian Rector. and Iatiote. Amon Ra. I mean, Amon Ra could be. We're going to have to narrow that focus because football is a 22-person game. Yeah. So it, ben Griffiths. It's hard to say just one person. You know, I don't think the USC is going to have a Heisman contender. Unless no. it's Stephen Carr. Yeah, your whole prediction, Shotgun. <laughs> From three years ago, okay? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have multiple questions about who's going to replace who. Uh, Glenn says, who will, who will replace Porter Gustin and get sacks this season? James says, who will replace Chuma Adoga? Chuma Adoga, Jalen McKenzie, has taken over his spot and his number. He's yeah. now number 70 mm -hmm. and playing right tackle, so he's there as of now. We'll see if anybody gets in that mix. Clayton Bradley, Bernard Shermer, the mysterious mystery of Bernard Shermer, who's not been around Where anywhere. is he? Um, those are the two guys that have a chance of getting in the mix on that first team offensive line, but right now I wouldn't say that anyone's getting in there. And then Christian Rector. Christian Rector and Drake Jackson. I think Drake Jackson yeah. will have a, a, a set role where he will rush the quarterback as well, but Christian Rector needs to have a big season, and I think he will. And don't sleep on Connor Murphy. He can uh, sneak in there too. Yeah. Uh, Can you really sneak in anywhere with a, a long flowing red mullet? Yeah, six seven and a big mullet. True. You know? Not much sneaking for <laughs> Mr. Murphy. One final question, and it goes to our buddy uh, Michael Castillo of Reino Troy. Oh, and he says, oh, "What is Shotgun's favorite cap?" Dun, dun, dun. Favorite what? Cap. Hat. Hat. Oh, well, this one's cap. a good one. This is, this is the wedding that? hat. It's his wedding oh, hat. Oh, the wedding hat, yeah. So it's got pizza, California, one. Georgia, and what's the other one? And the date on the... And the rings. No, the rings. Oh, yeah, he's got the date on It's a good hat. I also have a... Uh, you admitted to being married. Is it the first time? So it's a wedding hat. I didn't say dun, that. I got uh, um, Also, a, the, the, like, kind of... <laughs> Shotgun, camouflage, this is like digital camouflage one that I wear all the time. What, which which is, one is the that The light one? blue one that has little dots. 
Oh, the yeah. one I like the Grays one that you had. That's what a good was one it? too. Which one's that? That's Homestead like, Grays. Homestead Negro Grays. Teams. I like your old school Angels one. So I'm biased. I think this question came up because I, I finally counted them all up because we were moving apartments and I have about 180 right now. 180 hats. Wow. There you have it. You need like a room for that. Like that's not even like <laughs> it's not even like a, it's not a drawer. It goes it's in a, two bags. Two bags and they're done. Two like two duffel bags. Huge, that's <laughs> like a gym crazy. duffel bag. That's two of them. That's it. That's all it took. A lot of hats. And what size are you? What size? Seven hats? and three eighths. If anybody wants to send yeah. some to the show. Yep. Yeah, because he needs. He's only. He gets yeah, to get he needs more. He gets to two hundred. Um, well, legendary Lurch Logan says J Two Fele as a standout. I think that's a good call as well. Yeah. Uh, people really liked your performance tonight, Ryan. Really? Yeah, they said, Ryan, you yeah, crushed this tunnel vision. I didn't get it either. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, you know, but it, I get it. Don't feed his ego, Look, people. My first job out of from USC, like my first engineering job, Gary Wong hired me at Hughes Aircraft Company. He was only hiring USC people. Like, I get the Trojan <laughs> Network, it's real. But you can't just, you know, if, if he hired me to be an engineer and I was a dental student, like, that wouldn't make any sense. And that's what USC has been doing. Like, let's hire USC people. Have they done the job we want to hire? No, but let's hire them anyway because they're USC people. Like, that's got to stop. If you find an amazing athletic director candidate who happened to, like, be a grad student at USC at some point, yeah, that's fine. Yes, I'm not – I mean, really just joking about that. They don't have to have zero ties. But you can't base it on they went to USC. That has to stop. Yes, mini rant. Thank mini you. Mini rant Ryan. again. Uh, you have a performance critique from Killa B Shotgun. He says he needs know. a little more attitude next week from you. <laughs> you're better when you're pissed off, apparently. Keely brings that out of me during oh. during our podcast. Yeah. So. It's my job. Alrighty. That's going to wrap it up. Like I said, next week, special guest, India, the new drum major, is going to be on the show. So make sure you turn into that. I wonder if she can bring the sword. Oh, that would be fun. That would be cool. Yeah. That'd be yeah. dangerous in here. So bring your questions and all that good stuff. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up. That's Shotgun. That is Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next week. See ya.